Be silent, residents. Return to the Commonwealth. In 4K! Well, hello and welcome to Triangle Square, the PlayStation podcast. I'm your host, Brett Beck, and alongside me, as has become the tradition, is one Mr. Chris Figs. Chris Figs. Chris, how you doing today, buddy? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing okay. Um, you know, I think it's time that we're going to start the show off. If you're new, first of all, welcome. We, we like you. We love you. We want some more of you. Stick around. Listen. Yeah, you know, nothing like a good, I don't even actually know who sings that song. Is that like a good Kenny nice. Chesney song? Yes. No, maybe. Garth Brooks? I, that feels like a Garth Brooks era song. I don't know. Look at that. Check it out. You know, under the light of a neon moon, Chris. Check it out for us. Um, <laughs> is it weird that I'm like being in the South? I always, as a kid, thought that country was very localized to the South, just to learn that that was absolutely like across all of <laughs> America. Like there's, yeah, that there's just there's just people who listen to country everywhere. Yeah, but I do like country, so, and I do like so Tim who was McGraw, it? who was Tim the McGraw? One. Yeah. Uh, Highway it's don't no, uh, it's no Brooks and Dunn, but I mean, it's you know, no early. If you're not boot scoot but... boogie, and what are you even doing in your life, <laughs> <laughs> Chris? Get down, turn around, go to town. Boot spook boogie. <laughs> anyway, um, I think that we got to start this show off, even though we have plenty to talk about: Resident Evil, Silent Hill remakes galore, uh, Fallout Four coming back around for probably the fourth time. At this particular junction, <laughs> maybe not actually. Bethesda has been far kinder to Fallout than they have. Like you will play Skyrim on every device, but <laughs> they have they're up there, right? Did you ever play uh, the Alexa version of Skyrim? Uh, <clears throat> no, but I remember that that's one of the few times where I actually thought that was amazing. It's pretty cool. I played a little bit of it. It's fun. No, I actually think I did because I remember that it seemed to loop a lot. Like it would, yeah. I could never get very far. I like it's a great idea and a fun little marketing hit, but it never quite landed. But I, agree I would love an actual, like talk to an assistant and it just DMs you basically for the entirety of something. I think that's a cool idea. Um, but they would probably have to charge for it if they made it go much longer. <laughs> yeah. But you know, Bethesda is always down to charge for more Skyrim. So, I'm curious what that the next version is going to have in it to justify it. They added fishing and went up by like $30. So, I mean, at this time, at this point, they can add anything and just go up another $30, right? Well, it's funny. If you think about it, they're selling the worst version of Skyrim Anniversary for the most money. Oh, you're right. It's not 70 on any other console besides no, Switch. No, just Switch. It? And that is objectively wow. the worst version of that game. Crazy. But you know yeah, what? It's mind boggling. Uh, market opportunity. Anyway, uh, Chris, I, I have to say I owe you a game of Apex. Yeah, you do. Don't you? I do owe you a game of Apex. Yeah. Don't be over here busting out the pussycat dolls on me. Don't you? <laughs> no. Um, yeah, so we always start the show off time-honored way, just checking in on what each other's been playing. Um, and 
I've been uh, I've been on my saw shit where I'm just playing one game consistently for weeks on end. Um, so I don't have a, a ton to offer. But I do have a little nugget of the fact that we talked about it last episode and we ended up getting done so late uh, that we decided to move it to Saturday. And when Chris got home, we ended up playing like an hour, hour and a half of Conan Exiles. How about that, yeah. Chris joined me. He mm-hmm. made a woman with the biggest yetis. The biggest. I had to. Tig old biddies. Yeah. And, um, you know, that <laughs> it's funny because that game has nudity in it. So it was funny walking up to Chris whenever I finally found him. And then suddenly I just see, bam, <laughs> Chris is like, Chris made an Amazonian woman, like seven foot tall, mm-hmm. huge boobs. And then like the most ripped eight pack I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> what can I say, man? I... I, 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 you know, I like women of all shapes and sizes. However, I do have a fantasy of climbing a woman like a colossus. <laughs> I don't know what else to tell you. That's okay, Chris. Well, my stamina day, bar to run out halfway up her back. Maybe one day you'll be in the shadow of a colossus. Oh, you know? my God. I wouldn't even know what to do. <laughs> Uppies, uppies, uppies. <laughs> well, that's just simple, uh, you know, that's just simple. My brain can't even think of the word for what's so simple. No, uh, psychology, you know, yeah. where it's just like, well, when you're in the presence of someone who's such a big scale, it reminds me, it reminds you of your youth. Sigmund Freud is in his <laughs> grave. It's like, yeah, yeah, but you ought to be swaddled by that giant woman, don't you? She's a stand-in for your mother. (laughs) Well, speaking of swaddling people, Chris, would you like to swaddle these people with the games, the information of the games you've been playing this week? Sure. Uh, The game I've played the most is Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2, the second one from 2022. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to lie. I'm getting really tired of game names just being reused. It's bad. I'm getting excessively tired of it. It's so annoying that like, okay, Need for Speed's Twitter did a thing of like, what was these aspects, right? Like, what was your favorite open world? What was your favorite villain? What was your favorite? And they had like four options per one and they put most wanted, but it's like, what does most wanted mean? Because there's most wanted that came out in 2005 and then there's most wanted that came out in 2013. And I hate that. I hate that they called God of War 2018 God of War when you could have easily given it any name, any name at all. Right. It doesn't even need a number. You don't have to call it God of War 4. You can just literally call it God of War subname because it's exactly what every uh, it's God of War Ascension. Mm-hmm. Oh, look, God of War they goes to Sparta. <laughs> right. They could have literally called it the Norse God of War. <laughs> and it would have been just as fine. I don't. I assume marketing plays into that, to where they're like, we will stand the best t- like test if we could just come out and people don't feel like there's any name underneath it. I wonder if there's market research that suggests that having a surname after like underneath your game makes it makes people feel like it's not the first entry, so they're less <clears throat> likely to want to dive into it. Yeah, I mean, probably. I, I would also imagine they're just like. This is a you can step in here and not it won't you won't be confused 
Except for maybe one section halfway through the game, but other than would that, would a surname really change that? That that's what I always wonder. But you know, the market research is for the far more casual crowd, and there's no way for me to, I guess, pull myself, you know, dissect myself away from my long history with God of War or any mm-hmm. other franchise like that to be like, why would you not just? Well, I call, think like I agree with like you, when it's a remake like, reboot like Ratchet and Clank, I kind of get it. But sorry, go ahead. Well, because that's what I was actually about to say is I feel like in a lot of ways this is a reboot. It just yeah. also plays into the next ones or the old ones. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not, I get why it's called God of War. But if, honestly, they should have just gone with the funnier name and called it Dad of War and just moved on. <laughs> or Daddy of War. Yeah. Hey, who knows? But those names are what they are. But. Where I was wanting to go with this, um, my initial question was, I've seen some crazy screenshots for that game. And not to say that we always talk about how graphics don't make games. I've been enjoying the hell out of Conan. And it's not an ugly game, but it's not the most beautiful game in the world either. Um, So graphics don't make a game. But there's just something that catches your attention about graphics that hit a level of photorealism that surprises you. And I'm not seeing the game in motion for anything except for the very beginning when you're crawling through like the ravine in the desert um, that my friend showed me. And then I've seen a screenshot of what I think is Amsterdam. And they both looked incredible. The lighting on them looks very photoreal and sets itself up in a way where at least in stills, it almost looks like a photo. Um, And I know you were talking about it looking crazy as well. So, uh, what do you think about the graphics? And then secondarily, do you feel like people need to have played Modern Warfare from 2019? Is that right? Yes. Yeah, in order to play this one? Or is it like the original Um, one where there's characters that return, but they're mostly separate stories? No, I mean, this one is a completely... Like, it's a sequel. Like, a sequel sequel. Okay. But um, I think for for the record, I think it's the most beautiful game I've ever played so far. Like there was one right at the beginning. Cause the game starts with literally just you walking out. And I thought it was a cutscene cause it wasn't like a menu. And I'm assuming mm-hmm. it's cause it's campaign early access. Like I just pressed X and it sent me in. <clears throat> um, but like there was a, I didn't press start or I didn't press the controller for like a solid, like two, three minutes waiting for the cutscene to continue. Because it just looked that good. Like, I didn't think it was possible that that was gameplay. And it was gameplay. So, yeah. I was pretty blown away. Yeah. Okay. Well, I may end up giving it a try, which I've said a, a, a number of times I need to play the uh, Modern Warfare reboot first. Uh, or I figured I would. Uh, though, you know, when I think about Modern Warfare 1 and 2 from back in the 360 PS3 generation... I feel like they were the same characters and they were sequels to each other and you played as, you know, Soap and all these different people. But I don't really feel like you needed to play Modern Warfare 1 for Modern Warfare 2 to make... like It, it made perfect sense on its own. It was a very standalone title despite being a sequel. Um, I didn't play Modern Warfare 3. So I, part, of, part of me wondered if this was separate enough to where if I really just wanted to jump in with this one, would it really be an issue? I think you should play 2019A because it's really goddamn good. But B, <laughs> I do think like there's a story and you would miss some of the setup. 
But that's also just my opinion on it. Like, you could probably skip it and be fine. Yeah, you know, memory might be distorting this a little bit, but I feel like I remember the installation process for 2019 whenever I borrowed it from a friend being obnoxious because it forces you to download, it forces you to install War, uh, Warzone first and foremost whenever mm-hmm. I put it in. Um, and then I think it wanted to finish downloading Warzone before it would finish downloading the stuff it needed to for the campaign. And I just felt like it was the game trying so hard to funnel me. Whether or not, again, memory could skew a little, but it felt to me at the time like the game was trying so hard to sh- skirt me into this mode that they can make tons of money off of. First yeah. and foremost, when there's a campaign on the disc and I'm playing from the disc, if I wanted to play Warzone which is free to play, I would just go download Warzone. I hate that they have these so intrinsically tied together um, just because it. I feel like if I just want to play the... It, it reminds me back of whenever Mark Cerny was talking about on PS4 and that still hasn't quite become the case on PS5 in a game that I've seen so far. But the idea of like if you want to play campaign, you tell the discs to download campaign first and foremost. <laughs> Not very many games really lived up to that dream. But it's a great dream being like, if if you want to play Call of Duty, but you have zero interest in the campaign, tell it to download multiplayer first and foremost. And if you want to play campaign first and you have zero interest in multiplayer, you can tell it to download campaign first. Or if you just want to play campaign and have to to get a good feel of the game before you jump into multiplayer, which I feel like a good people, a good amount of people do. Um, But I thought it was interesting. So, yeah, maybe one day try them both. You should do them both, and then we can do a uh, SEO-driven spoiler chats on the two of them. <laughs> mm, we'll see. We will see. I guess I got to see. I, will, I guess I have the uh, terabyte upgrade to my hard drive now, so it wouldn't be as detrimental to that, download the entirety of Warzone and yeah. the campaign. I mean, you're going to have one point when the PlayStation 5 first came out with like Call of Duty, Modern Warfare, and Warzone took up like, 60 something percent of your hard drive. <laughs> it's true. Rough. Okay. Uh, all right. What else have you been playing? Um, I've played a couple things. Um, I tried Babylon's Fall today. Uh, that is the ugliest goddamn game I've ever played in my life. And, and I've just played Scarface The World Is Yours on PS2. So don't know what to tell you there. Hey. Um, Scarface on PS2, I'm pretty sure, supported 720p. Yeah, it definitely looks like a video game. But (laughs) Babylon's Fall, like, I don't understand it. The gameplay sucks. You can't dodge, as far as I can tell. And it's a melee focus. So I was literally just Can you block? Not that I could tell. I have a sword, and that is it. I don't have a shield. I can't dodge. I can jump. And it's... I, I'm gonna play it because I think the idea of having a platinum on that game would be cool and it's easy, but it's not good. <laughs> it's not a good. It's an easy platinum. Yeah, it's like a three and a half difficulty, twenty hours or so. Yeah, I mean, but, you can be one of those people that has a platinum for a game that gets the server killed. Yeah, there is something about that. It's cool, especially since it's apparently. Not apparently. I played it. It's one of the worst games I've ever seen. Like, truly an embarrassment to the industry, if I'm being completely honest. But uh, Like, not only in visual aspects, but gameplay mechanics and everything? 
How do you have melee focused combat? And again, I'm early, but you don't have dodge. And like, like I'm hitting circle, I'm hitting X, I'm hitting square. Like I'm pressing buttons here. It's not like I'm just like, oh, tutorial says only press square and triangle. No, I'm hitting it. So the only way that this game has a dodge is if it's an upgrade, which is arguably worse than not having a dodge, or they just don't have a dodge. Both are bad options. Or, or they do this thing where you're still in the tutorial. And I've seen games do this, and I've always thought it was odd, but where they lock features until you get to the part of the tutorial where they want to show you how to use them, and then it comes into play. Yeah, I'll give it to I've always thought that was that, weird because if you, you should be, you should have it to where if I understand how that type of game typically plays and I find how to dodge before it tells me about dodging, I should be able to go ahead and do it. But then the tutorial should still tell how to do it yeah. for the people who may not understand what that's the problem with tutorials in general it's like i i understand that you kind of have to build them for the lowest common denominator but gaming has been around for for almost 40 years like i feel like it's time to put a skip tutorial button in oh yeah i feel like every game having a skip tutorial button button is ideal uh some tutorials there's also just an idea behind tutorial design though because there are tutorials that honestly i already know how to play the game but the tutorials done in such a way that i feel like it's not actively detracting from the experience. Sometimes it's even adding to the experience, you know? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I, which I didn't write down, but I'm still playing Final Fantasy X. I'm a lot farther than that than I was last week. And mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure I'm still in tutorials, but it doesn't feel that way. Yeah. You know? Well, there's games that do that thing where they essentially are continually giving you new mechanics and new mm-hmm. ideas and stuff to do throughout the game. I, there was a recent example that I cannot for the life of me think of, but I feel like I remember learning new mechanics like 30 hours in and it would give me like a short tutorial without like, oh, the game just continues to be a tutorial as it needs to do that. I don't know, but they do exist. That's, <laughs> that's the main thing. Um, I, I feel like I like how people have gotten clever with tutorials to a degree where they try and build you into the game world with it where it's like, uh, hey, we need to check your calibration in your suit. Uh, look up and, and yeah. let me make sure that I, yeah, classic Halo bit, CE. Yeah, it's it's fun though. I like that it idea. Is. It's 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 a cool way around a problem that you kind of need to have. You know, people talk about all the time that the big thing that Apple did for the uh, for the industry of tech was that prior to Apple and the the Mac, the iMac or whatever it was, I can't remember which one it may have been, but their idea was to make it to where the average person could use the computer without having to look up a, uh, a user manual. The IBM's computers were far more powerful. But there's this thing that they were talking about where eventually they did a commercial and the commercial was like, which computer is more powerful? And then Apple's thing was like, the computer that's more powerful is the one that the person would want to use because they're going to do something on the one that they're willing to use. But the idea was so interesting because it was about making something as simple to use without needing as little as a tutorial as possible. And, you know, I right. feel like all tech has done that. Because, like, when you get a new phone, when's the last time you got a new phone and you had to, like, you, could, you couldn't just use it out of the box. Like, you didn't already know how to call somebody, how to text somebody, how to open your emails, probably how to get to a store. And not that they're not all the exact same, but they're homogenous enough and they 
continue to iterate enough that you can just do it without it. And sometimes I feel like games need to have that moment where they just kind of go like the game should be able to be played in such a way where the tutorial either feels so in integrated that you don't even realize mm-hmm. you're in a tutorial or that you allow people to skip the tutorial and just say, I, I know how to play the game or I know how to play this type of game. And if I don't, I can fi- for anything I don't know immediately, I can probably figure out very quickly. I, I really like the, and I think a PS3 era was the big one where the tutorial was just a separate thing in the menu. It yeah. was like, here's the tutorial. And then it was like, you get a trophy for doing the tutorial. Yeah. You know, I prefer that than Babylon's fall first 20 minutes is tutorial. And then me realizing I can't dodge. <laughs> Like I was literally stuck in a corner between three enemies and I couldn't dodge, couldn't jump because I kept getting hit and I couldn't swing because I kept getting hit. I was like, what is this? Who made this game? These are the guys behind Bayonetta and Vanquish. What? And then they're going to do more of this? Good Lord, man. You know, it's funny that at one point in time, I was, I would in my head get, Babylon's Fall, when it was first showed off with that cool CG trailer, I would get mm-hmm. it and Godfall like slightly mixed up in my head, just a tad. Um, and ironically, I think that Godfall is a much better game in every capacity. And they ended up being similar games. And the fact that they're both loot-based games that are trying to do a loot-based Destiny-style game, but with normal... Uh, traditional weapons like swords and shields and magic and whatnot instead of just being gun related. So mm-hmm. it's interesting. I'm not saying Godfall is some kind of perfect game, but it's interesting that Godfall, a game from some uh, you know brand new developer on the scene, uh, outclasses a, one from a developer behind a lot of cult classics and with a very storied development history with big franchises like Devil May Cry. So... Unfortunate. But I guess that's uh, what ends up happening sometimes. So Mm -hmm. let's see. Babylon's Fall, Conan, of course, Modern Warfare 2. And then you mentioned Scarface. Uh, So what's your quick experience with Scarface? Because I know Blake loves that game and has been asking you to to play it. Uh, I mean, it's great. I played it when I was a kid. I loved that game when I was a kid. Um, It is a trip going back to PS2 games because you always forget how truly god-awful they look. But, you know, it looks better than Babylon's Fall. So, sucks to be you, Kamiya. <laughs> <laughs> what uh, what kind of game is Scarface? Is it kind it's of like, like a, a Grand Theft Auto clone? That's what I was thinking, kind of like a Godfather Grand Theft Auto yeah. style? <clears throat> exactly. That's exactly what it is. And it's good. Uh, by no means would I ever call it bad, you know? Yeah. I think it's funny that you can tell, like, at least so far, it doesn't feel like they recorded any new VO. They just chopped shit out of the movie and then put it in the game. I so you'll al- hear the same inflection of the same quote over and over again. But Oh, man. And you think about sure how long ago that movie was. And it was probably, yeah. there's not dedicated recordings. It's just one audio. So if somebody else makes a sound or something happens in the in-between, you're just cutting all the audio with it and everything. Mm-hmm. Like they, they probably at least got lucky enough to have the audio from the movie uh, dialogue separate from the music from the movie. Because could you imagine yeah. them trying to like literally just pull from the movie and taking the iconic scene <laughs> mm-hmm. and then just having the music behind it and everything while he goes to say it? Which I guess maybe you could hide by having the music. Say hello to my little friend. And it sounds like compressed. 
so Chris, what, uh, what what's your take on? There's this thing I saw on Twitter the other day where it was people talking about the best adapted like movie games, and it, this has been a while back. So if I've already brought this up on the show, please please let me know. But people were talking about movie games and how they're good or bad and which ones are people's favorites. And it was really interesting hearing people's takes between like movies are games for movie series where the game is just trying to completely retell the story of a movie. And then there are people who would choose games and series and be like, it was great because it tried doing something new, including these characters. But that fit the idea of gaming better. And like one of the big examples of that was like the Chronicles of Riddick games, which I think is a great example of that mm-hmm. and uh, alien isolation where it's good. You're dealing with things that you already know about, which is the alien universe, the xenomorphs, and you know how that goes. So if you put yourself on a ship with someone that you're a character, you're not as familiar with, or you don't know at all, but with a enemy you're familiar with, then you can create something that leans into what gaming does better. But then some people I feel like really like the idea of a game recreating the exact thing they watched where you just play it out. And at that point you don't ha- you can't have very much agency or the vice versa where people want video game based movies to just retell the exact thing that the game is doing. But in movies, and I feel like those two things seldom translate well enough to be one-to-one. Definitely the opposite way around. Uh, or, you know what I mean? Trying to make a um, movie into a game is hard because games tend to be longer because you're controlling them. Making a game into a movie is a little easier because you're cutting all that filler that happens with gameplay and you can condense those down and make something that kind of works. You know? Yeah, I can see that. Um, I think my answer to the question for the record is Godfather 2 on PS3. So that game is incredible. I would still play it now. Is it an exact, which I guess, no, no, I never played the Godfather games. You're a completely new character, like on the side of Michael and Tony. I'm assuming there's a guy named Tony in the Godfather. I don't remember. Um, so you're like, a like the, the big characters are in there, but you're just a dude. Your created player. Yeah. That's nice. And you rise yeah. the rank. It's neat. I remember when I worked at GameStop, people loved that game, but I never got around to trying it. Well, I guess I know what I'm sending you. No, it's uh it's good. And um the last game I played I mentioned, but is Final Fantasy X. I'm really liking that oh. game. So Yeah. If you had to put like an hour of time on it, how how many hours do you think you're into it? Five? Okay. Yeah, I just got not that far in the grand scheme. No, I just finished the boat section. We have to do like the jacked kick, and he land, hits himself in the head, kicks yeah. the ball off the boat. That's where I'm at. I got you, man. There's some cool stuff that I hope you end up like sticking through playing and getting to, uh, involving like Unalesca and some of the very late game stuff. That's really cool, but won't talk too much about that until we know that you're going to get to that point. I mean, I adore it, so I'll probably finish it. Yeah, I hope so. It's a fairly long game. I'd say like 30 hours, you know. Again, that's going off of playing once as a kid, so that could very well be off by a bit, but I felt like that was pretty accurate. Um, so I've just been playing Conan Exiles, still loving it, still building, deciding to push the 
build aspect of it far more. So I've spent the last three days building a far more complicated structure than I had in the past because I wanted to see if I could pull it off. And uh, I'm not quite done. I'm like, you know, three quarters or five sixths of the way done. Very close. <laughs> um, if if you're not from America and you don't use fractions, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I'm I'm eighty percent done. That'd be four fifths. <laughs> I'll, I'll take what it. Did you, did you say three fifths? Well, at first I said five sixths, but Oof. that's just an unnecessary fraction. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's why I was like, why am I even going there? But it's okay. It's okay. But sometimes, you know, breaking things into quarters doesn't do well enough because it's like it's easier to communicate, but it's not close enough to your actual number. Fair. Look, I have the main building and three of the four towers built on the little side. So I I don't know what you want to call that. Four sections of the five sections are complete. <laughs> so 80% <laughs> nice. done. 80% even, done. Yeah, we'll call it that. Um so yeah, still having a blast of that. Chris, I'm glad that you got on and played. I hope that and it sounded like you were going to take it upon yourself to get on and play free of me, so that was cool. I, I wish you to remember the server information just for your own fun, but it's okay. That would have been nice. Hey, if you guys want to play Conan, at least in the same server as us, and have some fun and come in and see what the game's all about, hit me up. I've still got like seven slots left in the uh, in the server, so... First join come, first serve, I, I suppose. Yeah, join, join us. us. You can make either big titted woman or hugely, massively ripped man. Because I also went with like the highest muscle definition you can make. So 100%. when my guy has no clothes on, I just look yoked as I'll get out. <laughs> but there's you, no other way to be. Although objectively, it's funnier to be fat in that world. So honestly, yes. <laughs> it, it, it was. It's almost one of those things where I wish the game would adjust based off of the choices you made. So, mm-hmm. like, if you chose to be super, bu- like, lean, like super buff and lean, you had to like do a lot of cardio and not eat very much fats. That would that would be kind of funny. And if you're fat, it's like you've got to eat a crap load to keep that up. It sounds like it would be funny. It also sounds like it would be awful be to play. <laughs> It'd be the worst mechanic in the world, but it would be right. funny. Right. For like 20 minutes. <laughs> Maintain your fat, fatso. It's like, I don't want to. <laughs> you know, I say that, but not far from that actual mechanic was in San Andreas on PS2. Yeah, but it wasn't, you know. If the game forced you to maintain what you chose, that would suck. If the game was like, if you want to stay fat, you have to do this. You have to Totally eat, yeah. fine. That's- yeah. That's the San Andreas, but if you like, I think I, the way I heard you talking about it, like forcing it, no, I'd hate that. If it forced you, then yeah, that'd be rough. I really just meant that you know, if you chose to be fat to stay fat, you have to eat so many calories or you know, mm-hmm. digital calories per day. This calorie counter in the in the menu. Oh god, so, that would get destroyed online. And be like, oh, it's playing into fat people's PTSD about calories it's like dog. Oh dude, Demi Demi Lovato would be all over that like a yogurt shop. Yeah, she's I don't know if sing, you remember that situation. Sing to the ghosts <laughs> of my calories. <laughs> hey, you know what? Good for Demi though. She seems like she's doing a little bit better maybe. Sort still of. Still hot. She is still hot. I'll give you that. <laughs> That's the best I have to say about Demi Lovato. Well, she had a period where I didn't think she was as attractive, but her most recent little photo shoots for her little, you know, punk album 
mm-hmm. much as he wants to call it that. It's not a punk album, but you know. Why is everyone making punk albums now? It's pop punk, and it's hard Why are to we even make pu- a it, punk album. I'll make a punk album with you right now. Let's, <laughs> you don't let's even do get it. me started. Don't think yeah. I'm joking. I'm in. You don't worry. I got those four chords memorized, buddy. Punk album, <laughs> rock opera, easy. I yeah. When we talked about that the other day, I still wonder if you could easily meld together a punk opera because that'd be what it would be. Yeah. And if it's a punk opera, not pop punk opera, because that's a different thing. I think pop punk opera is probably a little more doable. I think punk opera would be really interesting because it's it, it would just be about like anarchy. Well, let's just hope the users and the listeners who like our content are willing to support us so that by the time we get to the point where we're making our rock opera, we can get Courtney LaPlante to do the vocals, and that's all I would need. I would fucking... That would be go. the end of it. Hey, Courtney yeah, I'll chant. Chick from Ginger, go do this album I'll put bones together on a table, and mm. I will summon the spirit of Dave Brocky to get Odorous Arungus to do at least one chorus. Um, <laughs> I know you don't know who I'm talking about at all. Nah, that's not okay. an idea. That's a great name, though. It sounds like a Resident Evil villain. <laughs> uh, it's Guar. It's it's Guar's singer who sadly passed away. Uh, rip. And between... I, I've been listening to so much Tenacious D... Same and Guar lately that I've just been in like a, a you know what I mean like a kind of like a rock epic mood where it's like yeah you know rock opera slash like you know uh, what do they call them whenever they tell story like a progressive albums mm-hmm. and stuff where they carry a narrative through and I tend to like the ones that kind of get ridiculous and stupid like I was telling you about the Daddy Ding Dong song from Tenacious <laughs> D I don't know if you Great listen song. to that whole album but it's pretty I wild yeah but it's a good song. Uh, new Taylor Swift just dropped, so that's all I'm doing. Sorry, pal. Taylor Swift isn't telling stories, I hate to tell you. Um, not, not full Swift's overarching stories. entire discography is a story, okay? It's a story of her life and her It's the story of her breaking up her with the next man. That's fine. Okay? I say that as a joke. I don't really know enough of T-Swift's, uh, and I'm going to call her T-Swift. I hope you're okay with that. I said I that as a joke, but um, spoilers for her newest project. She's grown as a person and realized she's the problem. You know what? She needed so to the, do that. There's a through narrative to it all. Because we're all the part of the problem. 100%. Except me. I'm perfect. Life, you know? Yeah. Yeah, Chris. My failures are everyone else's fault. Yeah. But you need to be responsible for yourself. You know? Yeah, I'm telling you. Be it's about better. time I take, some, I take some damn you know, <clears throat> responsibility, right? 100%. I've done all <laughs> this work and you're just... How do you stop being a bitch and take responsibility for my actions? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, you chose this all life, right. not me what's next what so you just been playing conan oh, literally the last four weeks of my life have been conan good god man Play and i'm Final so Fantasy happy X2. i love it <laughs> i've never played 10 yeah well you have are you gonna to are you gonna immediately one. follow into 10 i plan to if i finish 10 i will yeah it's I'll probably get the wildly different game. <laughs> I'll probably get the platinum in ten and then see how I feel. But good luck with that because I'm pretty sure that involves completely filling sphere grids and it all does. sorts of crazy things. It's only like a um, hundred hour platinum only, quote unquote, on a hundred hour platinum. But we'll see. It doesn't sound crazy hard. There's I guess a new game plus, so that's how you do it. We'll see. Okay. Hey, Godspeed and good luck. 
That's the best I can give to you. I you know what, Chris? That. I think it's time that we scooch over into the community's take. Yeah, take me to the community. How I'll can they get involved, the though, Brett? Is that a well, thing? Well, Chris, if you, want, if you community want to be taken by Chris, um, then hot. what you need to do is... <laughs> what you need to do is head over to any of our social media, be it Twitter, which we have uh, at Triangle SQRD as our handle there. You can find us over there, follow us, keep up with it. Uh, we can. We also post uh, the community state question on the Facebook group, Triangle Square to PlayStation Podcast. And lastly, you can always find it in the community state section of our Discord, which is linked in the description below. If you just click in, join us, we'd be happy to talk to you over there, as well as the other people in the community that are over there. So what we do is we take uh, the one of the main topics that we kind of talked about from the previous episode, and at the end of the episode, we kind of get a question from that, and we throw it out to you, the community, and we give you guys an opportunity to give us your view on something, kind of give us different perspectives, and then we read it out on the show uh, to hopefully give other people different perspectives and ways of looking at things as well. Uh, one of the things we do here is that we do give our patrons who go over to patreon.com slash nartech and give as little as a dollar per month. They help us do this show uh, without digging into our own pockets, and we're very thankful. So we give them preferential treatment for these, and the majority of our answers uh, this time around were from patrons. So we're still not going to read every single patron one, but we did get four of them, one of them being very long. Um, but I think it's an interesting talking point. Um so without further ado, last week, if you did listen, you may have noticed that we talked about uh, Sony and this report that was happening in the industry about Sony holding off on having a PlayStation showcase that they had planned and scheduled for due to wanting to control the perception of their presence in the industry amidst the CMA investigation that's going on with Microsoft. So what we asked is, do you believe that report? And if so, do you think the movie is uh, the move rather is smart, shady, downright shitty, or are you ultimately unbothered by the tactic? Uh, so, like I said, we had a number of people answer. Uh, our first answer comes from our pretty longtime patron at this point, Mister Rude Cold. He says, "I believe, I believe it. Seeing as uh, Silent Hill Two remake is PS Five exclusive for a year, and I'm pretty sure Sony would have wanted to announce that at a showcase and randomly square release a Final Fantasy 16 trailer in the same week, which again would definitely be at a Sony showcase. Uh, Sony showcase. Ultimately, I'm unbothered by it all. Let the super rich corporations bicker. I'll just carry on playing games. I agree. Yeah. I think uh, I think after this week, I also believe that if nothing else, Sony had something going on. Now, I do have a question that kind of stems from this, though, right? Hit me. If, and someone I think brought this up last week, but now that we've seen a lot of the proof uh, in the pudding behind what was being said, even if they were just good guesses, if the idea was that Sony would have wanted to announce these types of things at their own showcase if they're still being announced and talked about and shown and given PlayStation exclusivity branding and everything just outside of the showcase, then how does it really help their perception with the CMA? Is it because they're not going out there and vocally being behind it and being like, Hey, look at what we got. Instead, they're just being like, ah, we got it, but they're the ones that announced it and revealed it. We didn't push for that. I think so. There's two ways. I think you can look at that, right? You can look at it as, 
like what you just said, like, oh no, they announced it. This was like their decision. Like, oh, we didn't, we didn't pay for it. They just, Konami chose to only release it on PlayStation 5. <laughs> or you can look at it that that PlayStation showcase was going to have so much shit exclusive and just coming to PlayStation that a, that's a little bit we did get exactly they could let this out and let this happen without a showcase and be okay but b that had they had this in a showcase with everything else that would have looked bad right because even think about stuff like we talk about the CMA like they're not a bunch of old people who probably don't know anything about video games like you know go back and look at congress talking about facebook right they don't know what they're talking about. So I think even something like, let's say at the PlayStation Showcase, they were going to announce Half-Life Alex for PSVR. That's an exclusive right there. It's exclusive because Microsoft doesn't have a VR headset, but the biggest game for VR is exclusive to PlayStation. You know, Let's say they announced Kojima's next game, exclusive to PlayStation. They obviously, around this time, it would have been coming before Call of Duty, so they're going to be blowing out Call of Duty, which the CMA is fight, is fighting Microsoft on for PlayStation with Call of Duty exclusive content on the PlayStation Showcase. You know what I'm saying? So there's so many tendrils to like, hey, we were going to show Spider-Man. We were going to show the first look at Wolverine. We were going to show Naughty Dog Factions. We were going to show Ghost of Tsushima 2. Media Molecule rose from the dead and they're making the little big planet seven. You know what I mean? Like there was a lot, I think there's a lot of ways that this could have gone that would have looked worse for them than letting a Final Fantasy 16 trailer go. Uh, all that Resident Evil stuff and Silent Hill being exclusive. So, yeah, we'll see. I think you're probably right, but that it comes down to that. That was my real question is what. And if they were calling it, as we've talked about before, Sony seems to be keen on calling big reveals stuffed with things, a showcase, and smaller things that are just a handful of reveals, maybe one big game, you know, information dump and some indies or something like that ends up getting the um, state of play uh, moniker. So if this was truly going to be a PlayStation showcase, then it probably was going to be quite packed with stuff. So now the question, I guess, becomes for everybody, what do you think would have been being shown this past week had it not been for this tactic, if this tactic is indeed what's happening? Uh, so continuing on, though, we have uh, TT Dog 666 another one of our patrons, at least for this month. He says, it's all of the above, depending on where you sit. For the hardcore Sony fanboys, it's smart. For the hardcore Xbox fanboys, it's shady. For those who want to play games and see what's coming up in the next year, it's shitty. As if they were for the players, as they say, they'd show off the new titles they're sitting on. Uh, and that's kind of echoed, and I'm going to go ahead and follow it up with Jehudis, um, another one of our patrons, longtime patron. And he says, if, if true, I think it's not a good move. This shows Sony is willing to succumb to indirect pressure and not strut its stuff and show the world why PlayStation is the place to play the best games regardless of the circumstances as a player and shareholder it's not the best move as a general business sure it's a good move but i wish that playstation was a bit more bullish and stuck to their schedule and went ahead and released it um and i guess those kind of things coming together i do kind of have this thing where if you're for the players and you know how we talked about the subtext right chris where it's like every company says these things and then you always know it's with the subtext of 
but on our system. So like Sony saying like for the players, it's always been understood by pretty much everyone that they're clearly saying for our players. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, yeah, I was, which is yeah. not surprising. Um, but I kind of think that those two things coming together make sense because mm-hmm. when you look at it, I think I really agree with Jehudi in the sense of, if this ever comes out as being 100% true within a shadow of a doubt, mm-hmm. I think it makes PlayStation look scared. And making yourself look scared, whether rightful or not, I don't really think is a great business business tactic. I think the better way to to kind of deal with your perception on this is to look strong to your player bases and say, hey, you know what? While we don't think that Microsoft should get Call of Duty and its impact on the industry is too large and all of that, this is still what we're doing over here. This is why we still think we're amazing to play as or play at. And regardless of how that happens, because this deal isn't closed, this is what's closed. And this is what's going on right here. And this is what we have, regardless of what happens on Microsoft's side. And just try and look like you're bullish, like he said. I think that there is an, an aspect of, definitely if I was a shareholder in Sony right now, I don't know how I'd want them. Would I rather them try and stave off Call of Duty getting taken so that my shares don't drop when PlayStation inevitably loses some of the money they get for their Call of Duty perks, be it five years down the line or whatever it be? Or would I rather them look good right now in the present and be like, hey, this is what you can expect from us within the next 12 months. And we already know the Call of Duty stuff has to go to the end of contract. Mm-hmm. And we know that that's at least three more years. So at some point, I think that there's a impetus on Sony to look good now as opposed to trying to be coy right now. Um, I just think looking scared is a weird way to go, even if it's a rightful fear. If you're on trial for murder, you don't go buy a gun. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that's the thing. Like, right now, they're trying to keep Call of Duty on PlayStation. And I think the interesting is the only thing I think I would take um, any umbrage with on what TT Dog said. I think I agree with everything he's saying. But I will say, as if you're a Call of Duty player who's worried about Microsoft buying Call of Duty and taking it from you, and you're a PlayStation only Call of Duty player, are you mad at Sony right now? No, you're you're happy that they're going to bat for you, right? Yeah. You know, so I think if they're for the, they're for the players doing this, they're just for, they're not for you as a player. They're for Timmy who just got out of middle school and wants to, you know, yell at, tell other people that he screwed his mom on call of duty on PlayStation five. Cause his mom bought him a PlayStation five. Cause his mom doesn't read IGN and know that Microsoft bought Activision. And even if she did, she doesn't know what that means. You know what I'm saying? So in a lot of ways, I think like this is one of those things that's frustrating for us as people who care about the industry, who are going to look at something like a new IP and be excited. And that it it does suck that Sony Sony's holding things back. But again, you can't argue in court that exclusive an exclude one one exclusive game even if it's just call of duty because again going back to congress and facebook they don't know what they're talking about so call of duty 
not being on the same level as Silent Hill doesn't matter to them. So you don't want to be like, Microsoft can't have this one exclusive and then have a showcase where you show 20 exclusive games. Yeah. You can't do it. So yeah, maybe it sucks and and it sucks for people like us who want to know. I've I've been saying on the show, I want you to tell me code names. Tell me that, hey, we at Sony have just hired John who works at the GameStop and he's going to be making us a new IP. I would be like, cool, good luck, John. You know, <laughs> like the, I'm interested in that. But so this does suck. It sucks that this isn't happening. It sucks that maybe Sony was going to make an acquisition and hasn't done it because they don't want to look, you know, they don't want to look bad. But I think it's a necessity. And I think if we look at it as a business, like this is an important move for Sony to make. It's important to keep Call of Duty. It's important to keep that player base. So I think I understand completely why they're doing this. Um, yeah. And like I've said on the show before, just letting them know that, hey, Call of Duty is not going anywhere and putting that on paper doesn't make sense as like a business. Like, why would you want something on paper as in perpetuity, non-exclusive? But, you know, that would get the deal through. If Microsoft cares about the deal, and they're not going to make Call of Duty exclusive, they would say that. If they know eventually, maybe when the new console cycle comes, that they're going to make it an exclusive, there you go. Who knows? But I, I think yeah. Sony is in the, doing what they need to do, as much as it sucks for all of us. Yeah, and I'm not saying they're in the wrong for doing it, just to be clear on that. I just think it's unfortunate the way that it makes the optics look for people who, when you are, like, because like you said, when you're embedded in an ecosystem like that, you want your ecosystem to look strong. Not that right. you care for, it's not that I want points against Xbox. You know, some yeah. people do operate within that, like, well, I just want to be able to brag. No, I just want to know the thing I've invested time and money into is going to continue to deliver. And one of the easiest ways for them to do that is show the things that they have made either partnerships with or have been building exclusively within their own companies uh, and developers. So it's unfortunate that we we have to miss out on that. But, you know, like you said, I think, and, and this is really not, it, it ties into what uh, TT Dog said, where he's talking about perception. It's true with everything in life, right? Perception really changes the way you view something and where you are at on a certain issue does matter. If you're if you play Call of Duty as your primary game, like you mentioned, and you play it on PlayStation as your primary thing, you do want Sony to be protecting your investment because that's the whole reason you have a PlayStation and play mm-hmm. PlayStation and why you've sunk all this time and effort into this. And it's not wrong of that person to want Sony to fight for that to stay there, just like it's not wrong for the person who's on Xbox to go, it'd be really sick if for once we got all this cool exclusive Call of Duty content or early access or whatever. Hey, I want Xbox to get this deal to go through. It's not wrong for them to think that either. The reality is is that everyone's view of this is in some form or fashion correct. And then there's what goes then there's what matters on the business side of things. So We'll definitely see how it ends up coming around and coming out. But yeah, perception matters and it's not wrong from anybody's standpoint that no. Sony is doing their job. They're they're going to bat for something that may seem, depending on where you're sitting, may seem stupid or futile or just like a waste of time or even hypocritical. But they still have to do it for not only their own wallet, but for their own wallet due to the people who want them to be doing that. There is somebody that's going to spend $130 on skins on call of duty that they won't get that money from. If that person, you know, leaves their ecosystem because they didn't go to bat 
for that person. Well, not for nothing. For all for all we know, like losing that 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 profit for that free money basically from Call of Duty, you maybe you lose a a a cool new IP in favor of Uncharted 7 because Sony can't afford to take a risk. There's a yeah. lot of things that the that people aren't looking at uh, with specifically with Call of Duty that would make this all make a lot of sense. And uh, you as a person would be like, hell yeah, go keep Call of Duty because I want you to make the newest I, the new IP from Naughty Dog rather than be like, you guys got to do The Last of Us Part Two remake because we don't have the money to let you do this fantasy game. The Last of Us Part yeah. Two remake needs to happen. Yeah, no, I think that's a fair point. Uh, we don't, we haven't really talked much about how the aspect of their finances go into their will, their ability or willingness to be risky, uh, and that definitely does play into it. So, yeah, okay, all right. Last one here, and it's fairly long, but I think that there might be something we can come out of it. So, um, this is Joshua Lago. You may remember him from his stint on uh, Midweek Matinee. He is also a patron. Thank you, Josh, for being such a longtime patron at this point. Uh, he says, curious to what you think the better move would be. So I think he's saying that regardless of how he feels here, Sony is probably taking the best route that they can. He says, Sony just seems to be behaving very standoffish for a situation that's largely self-created. Call of Duty will be the least of Sony's problems if Microsoft keeps growing at its current rate. And for what it's worth, I hope Microsoft isn't allowed to complete the purchase. Their vision of a ubiquitous online storefront for games sounds like a natural progression based on the last several years of expansion we've seen, but no platform manufacturer should be able to own a publisher as large as Activision. It would just be so lopsided to have to compete against them. And with Microsoft already having a massive stable of publishers, studios, and cloud infrastructure, they already far and away overshadow the competitors when it comes to the size of their operation. Sort of a back-end question, uh, question, but do you happen to have any idea if Microsoft is largely using their own servers as opposed to, say, paying for usage from another big company like Amazon or Google? I feel like this is the key difference between Microsoft and their competitors. Sony is a consumer electronics company and Nintendo is an entertainment company. Meanwhile, Microsoft is a behemoth in the tech space with few peers. They already control too much as far as I'm concerned, but that's a bigger conversation about what's currently allowed in the corporate space. So I digress. And uh, clearly, if you didn't catch his his open, it, it was a rhetorical question about Microsoft server usage. Uh, and it does pay into a big thing. Microsoft has a lot of things that come into play for that they get to benefit on from within, within themselves that most of the competition does not do. Even when you look at them being a competitor against things like Google and uh well, really, Google being probably one of the biggest, and I guess Amazon secondarily for their cloud. Because a lot of the stuff they're talking about here is how they're making moves to become uh, a, a bigger player in the cloud space. Mm-hmm. But the reality of this is still is that they're still a console thing, and this still will impact their place in the console thing, as well as the cloud uh, aspect in the back end. So, um, you know, I have gone back and forth on whether I really on how I feel about whether or not the purchase should be allowed to complete. I don't know whether or not I think it will or not. I'm, I'm, I'm more landing on the fact that it will eventually pass. Um, I 
as Chris and I kind of talked about last week, I tend to skew towards thinking that's going to make acquisitions harder in the future, at, at the very least for Microsoft, uh, but maybe across the whole industry if, if more eyes are on these things than ever. Dude, not to cut you off, but if, if they start being harder on the other companies after letting Microsoft do this, that's when there's a problem, in my opinion. I don't think that's wrong either. Because if they if they kill this and then they're like you can't buy CD Projekt Red Sony, I'd be like okay, it's fair, you know. But well, fair is a really hard thing to determine in this situation because you have to look at what is the net gain on Sony for buying CD Projekt Red as opposed to the net gain for Microsoft buying Activision. And I'm not saying I know the answer to either of those questions, but what I'm saying is there's so many layers about what Microsoft is as a company and what Sony is as a company and what their potentials are and how these moves either help them grow in very specific ways or not that I don't, I think no matter what CD project red is just nowhere near comparable to Activision. But that doesn't you, – you might be right. It might be that they kill this and then they also look and go, hey, we're trying to stop game companies from coming becoming too you know, uh, ubiquitized. We don't want there to be a single – we don't even want there to – we don't want to funnel it down to strictly three players that control not only the consoles because we're already in a space where the, the console space is controlled by three manufacturers. Agreed. I don't think that they want that to happen to where not only is the console space, but the publishing space that, you know, and, and the general IP ownership is all roughly within squarely within these same three, which we've already know that Nintendo is not really aiming for this type of acquisition. So it'd really just be the, the Sony and Microsoft. And I guess maybe if Steam wants to start <laughs> acquiring people, <laughs> maybe Steam. Maybe the actual answer is that Epic is the one that starts spending a crazy amounts of money in order to acquire more people to get more deals for the Epic Game Store to bolster it, which would actually not surprise me. Uh, yeah. Epic should offer to give Sony back its money and instead acquire 100% of Sony. <laughs> that would be funny. I wonder if that's even possible. I genuinely don't know what Epic's scale as a company is. They're big enough that Sony spent, what, like $10 billion on 2%? <laughs> is that what it was? Something. I mean, I don't think they, they, they don't own in the tens. They own less than 10%, I believe. Yeah. I think we looked it up not long ago. I think it's like 7% total. Um, but I was more, I couldn't remember the amount of money they put into it. Epic Game announced a two, $2 billion round of funding to advance the company's vision to build the metaverse. Oh, interesting. Uh, let's see. Sony makes a $1 billion investment in Epic to deepen their um, That's what, their like relationship. 2%? So it says Fortnite maker valued at $31.5 billion oh. following latest funding round. This is as of April. Hmm. Wow. That's pretty wild. Okay. Well, moving along. Thank you, Josh. I appreciate the answer. And I think it does raise some interesting questions. And I think to some degree, we're all going to have to 
look at each company for what they really are when we're thinking these things through as consumers and how we feel about what they are. Um, but yeah, I'm glad to hear from you and thank each and every one of you who answered and gave us your own perspective on this situation. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how this ends up playing out. But I think from there, we're going to go ahead and move in to the news. Chris, would you agree? Yeah, let's news on in. All right. So first thing up, uh, November 1st brings with it a new season to Respawn's free-to-play shooter Apex uh, Apex Legends. Season 15 brings a new character named Catalyst and a new map named Broken Moon. The map, which has been in the oven for a year and a half, features new things like zip rails and much larger POIs, which I'm assuming is places of interest. Look at you. Hey, uh, the map is about the size of World's Edge and features 16 points of interest, places of interest, whatever. Um, so zip rails, I guess that's uh, uh, the idea there is to move you around the map in a quicker fashion. Yeah. Are we talking like Bioshock Infinite? Yeah, pretty much, <laughs> but okay. faster. Because they already have like zip lines so you can zip across places, but these are, I guess, much faster. So it makes you a little more defenseless because it's harder to aim, stuff like that. So I might be asking a dumb question. I'm, I'm prepared for that to be the answer. But I thought that they had things like zip lines tied to specific characters. They do. But this sounds like something that would be available to all players it is available to all zip lines are available to all players but pathfinder can create a zip line wherever and whenever he wants assuming you have okay. your old charge okay gotcha that's the difference that's what yeah. i was trying to figure out having not played much and having only played as pathfinder it's kind of hard to understand how other players do or don't have access to any of that stuff but okay no. that makes sense what they're talking about is built into the map it's not like we give this to players yeah understood it it, it is like essentially a, a, a rail line that just connects different areas so right. that you can move between them quicker. I no, mean, I get it. And the balance of having it accessible to everyone, no matter what's going on and not placeable is that first of all, you can't choose where you place them. Second of all, like you said, they're so much faster and make it harder for you to defend yourself while up on them. So interesting idea. I guess mm-hmm. I'll learn a little bit more about apex as I jump into a game with you. Yeah, that'd be nice. All Maybe right, let's like see. Well, you're the big Apex person, so I mean, is there anything yes. else you want to expound on here? Not a ton. I think Catalyst looks really good. Um, I'm excited for that. She's interesting. Um, but other than that, no. I mean, it's a new season of Apex. Can't wait. But I also haven't been playing very much Apex for the last like year. So, <laughs> do you feel like? It's always a question I have. Do you feel like there's a point where continually adding new characters, like, do they ever take a, did they, they ever pull characters out of rotation nope. as they put new ones in? Or is it always just an ever growing roster? Just an ever growing roster. Okay. I think of it like um, Smash Brothers, where it's like they did Smash, what was the new one called? Ultimate? Yeah, sure. <laughs> I think that's right. But right. it has essentially every character that they've ever had in a Smash game in this one game. And it's a gargantuan roster. And I just have bounced between whether I think that's good or bad. I guess it's not a bad thing. I also don't know if I think it's inherently good. But yeah, I mean, balancing, the more characters you have and the more you have to account for balancing, I always wonder... Is part of the reason it seems because how many new characters would you say you get a year? Two, 
three, one, four, four. Because I think there's a battle pass every quarter, basically. And there's a new character per battle pass. Normally, so far there has usually. Been. So three to four per year. So you're talking yeah. three to four months for development time at the very least between mm-hmm. each character. Well, I'd say more than that, but. I said at the least, yeah, they're likely working on these characters for long periods of time and balancing them internally mm-hmm. as they continue to bounce around. Well, I think um, the last, the next 10 seasons or so have leaked. So we know all the characters coming. Good Lord. Yeah. And there's a character for each season. So that's crazy. New characters, new guns. It continues to make me wonder like, maybe the real, excuse me, maybe the real amazing thing that they're doing from a development standpoint is not just in making a fun game that people seem to enjoy, but the magical act of balancing all these things in such a way that they don't just immediately fall apart with incredibly broken things, which I'm assuming, I guess, quite largely that the game isn't broken. (laughs) But I know that games like Destiny and other things that consistently see battle passes and uh, rebalances and nerfs and buffs there's almost always something broken broken in them. I mean, would you say Apex does a pretty good job of keeping that minimal? <laughs> not even remotely. No. no yeah, that, that sounds about right. <laughs> so it's not the magic. The magic is not that they're doing a balancing act of uh, of balancing everything correctly. So okay, well. We'll see what comes into that. Uh, next thing up, anyone wary of spoilers should be extremely careful of the internet the next couple of the weeks. Uh, as with early review copies of God of War Ragnarok out and about, a leak has sprung out of the project. So, yeah, keep your eyes peeled like a careful. banana. Heard Kratos yeah. fights Barney the dinosaur. I mean, dude, at this point, pretty much every scenario that could exist probably exist with God of War on PC. I saw <laughs> the other day I saw, uh, or today actually, there was an article talking about a mod for Spider-Man on PC. And it was, <laughs> you play as the God as IGN's Gotham Knights review. Oh no. <laughs> so it's just the review swinging around. It's pretty great. I like a screenshot of the review. <laughs> yeah. Of like the 5.0 like Gotham Knights thing. And it's just <laughs> swinging around the map. I thought you were going to say it was a mod for... Uh, I can't remember. I think it may have been GameSpot or... I, I really can't remember. I don't want to put it on the wrong person. But you ever see the Miles Morales review of... Uh, the game just drips with the exaggerated swagger of a black teen? <laughs> of course I can. I believe that was GameSpot. <laughs> yeah, okay. I thought it was GameSpot, but... Whew. Every time you swing, it just says that exaggerated swagger. <laughs> that would be great. I'm sure that that exists. Yeah. But all right, moving along. The success of Resident Evil 2 and 3, along with hype around the soon to come remake of Resident Evil 4, has had gamers asking about other titles in the series. In a conversation with Noisy Pixel series producer Yashiaki. Hirabayashi? That's a name right there. Hirabayashi? Good try. Yeah, I I did what I could. Indicated that currently there are no plans for a remake of the classic Dreamcast title, Code Veronica. Many people have been asking for a Code Veronica, at least on the interwebs. Uh, You know, the the Twitter sphere is not always a good gauge, but 
people seem to really want to code Veronica. Uh, he didn't slam the door shut, though, saying that if the opportunity opportunity presented itself, then maybe he would do it. Um, so we'll see what ends up coming of that. It is weird that, I mean, clearly there's a, a want to stick with mainline titles, which kind of makes you wonder, like, how important at the time did Capcom view games like Code Veronica and some of these offshoot, like Resident Evil Code Z, uh, Resident Evil Zero, whatever it's called? Mm-hmm. Um, Revelations, Revelations 2. Yeah, like how, when they're making these games, do they really consider them important? Or are they just really like filler games of like, let's make something with this IP so we can make some money off of it. We're not going to want it to suck, but we're not going to worry about it. You know, clearly people fell in love with the game, but the, from from inception, were they always kind of like, this isn't a mainline Resident Evil, so it's, you know, it'll never get the same treatment? Yeah, or is it? I think so. Probably. But it's probably also one of those things where like, it's a side story and it's not a mainline, so if it sucks, who cares? <laughs> well, and that might be the answer as to why they're not really worried about doing it because some people think that they're just remaking it for, for a remake, which is clearly true. They're remaking it because people want it and it's an easy way to make money. But it also seems like they're remaking all these games so that they can better tie in some of the crazier choices they chose to do with 7 and 8 and make the series as a whole more cohesive because they can make ever so slight changes to two and three and four that bring the whole series more in line with seven and eight and what the story is trying to go with there. And they can retcon things out that may not play as well with it from the original titles. So there, there's like a secondary reason for them to want to go about doing things. This week, a new trailer for the PS5 exclusive Juggernaut Final Fantasy 16 dropped. The Ambition trailer focused on the world and the characters of the game. After the trailer dropped, Naoki Yoshida sent out a message that stated that the game was in its home stretch and the team is now working on bug fixes, polishing, and optimization. It's a good sign for them to hit their announced release date of summer 2023. And I, myself can only hope the game reviews as wonderfully as the game itself looks. Chris actually wrote that line, but I'm not going to be the guy who talks about myself in third person. <laughs> That's fair. Brett can only but hope second- that the game reviews as wonderfully as the game itself looks. Hey, the game does... I, I, I'd mentioned that I had not gotten a chance to watch it, despite being really excited whenever Kiki posted it in the uh, Discord. But I didn't get a chance to watch it because I was at work. So before we recorded, I sat down and watched it. And like... Three quarters of the way through, I just kind of like did that little the grin when you're watching something that's just too cool. And I was like, God, this looks super, like, super good. And it does. It, it does. looks so good. Uh, it looks interesting. The way that they've cut the trailer and are having the dialogue. I mean, it, it, I'm intrigued by what the thing's talking about. Visually, it's very stylistic and has a cool flair to it. And I just, yeah, it's. I'm excited for the game. I think it looks really cool. Um, I really like how they're doing this thing that I feel like Final Fantasy 15 tried to brush up against with having these multiple families and multiple cities and how they interact with each other. But 15 really scaled that back. And even though there's mentions of it, 
90% of that game is really just about the, the core friend group and how th- any of the stuff happening in the world interacts with them. Um, I like that this one is actually looking and saying, well, here's a world, here are all these nations, how these nations differ, how they view the world differently and how they view the, the power source of the crystals differently. And I think that that has a really cool chance of giving a really interesting story kind of akin uh, to how they really looked at the political aspects of things in like Final Fantasy 12, which Chris, I know you've, uh, you've not played, but oh, yeah. you should play. I downloaded it. Hey, look at that. You're one step closer. Yep. Halfway there. Living on a prayer. <laughs> All right. Take next thing up, a potential leak of Insomniac's Wolverine comes from an incredibly interesting source. Microsoft has claimed that Wolverine is coming in 2023 when discussing, when discussing Sony's might with the CMA. It's unknown if this is a convenient inference from Microsoft's lawyers or insider knowledge. It would certainly be an interesting, impressive and potentially odd move if Insomniac is truly able to get not one, but two huge Marvel projects out in the same year. Um, clearly, they're no stranger to releasing two high-profile exclusives for the PlayStation 5 uh, mere months apart from each other, as we saw them do with Miles Morales and then uh, Ratchet and Clank. So it's certainly possible. Um, the bigger question here is, what is the likelihood that they could really pull that together that quickly? Because... My, you know, the, uh, whenever Insomniac got bought, they have like three teams, two main ones and one VR team. Now, assuming that VR team is not actually working on anything PSVR 2 related, which I think would be a huge misstep from Sony's part, if there's a team that's dedicated to it already working around that ideology. Um, but if we can assume that, that Insomniac has three teams, then maybe it's possible. Because you could argue that while Spider-Man Miles Morales is being made with a smaller team and a smaller scope to a degree, but then also Spider-Man remastered being worked on. Maybe Spider-Man two was still being worked on in the back of all that alongside ratchet. But you start to wonder like there has to be a man, like a manpower issue at at insomniac. Eventually, if they're going to get both of these games out in 23, it just seems unlikely, but they've proved us wrong before. I don't know. To me, the weird part would be releasing those games in one year seems like a weird two games to have two Marvel games that kind of would end up, that are going to end up playing ostensibly pretty close to each other. Um, But I hope it happens. I mean, I always said that I thought Wolverine would come before Spider-Man 2. And that was strictly based on how they announced Spider-Man 1 and how quickly it came out after that trailer. Um, But we'll see. I, I... have a feeling this was more like, well, they announced it and next year's the 2023. So that's probably when it's coming. And this is probably a yeah. 2024, late 24, early 25 game. I would really hope 24 personally. I would but that's too. just also because I've, I've constantly said that I just cannot stand games being announced this early. <laughs> but as we know, that's just me. But it, it, just to give into your side of things, Chris, there's a difference between Insomniac just saying, hey, we're working on uh, a Wolverine game and then putting out a, a CGI trailer with character design and stuff like that involved in it because one has one carries implication that you're further along than the other. Just being like, hey, we're, uh, we're working on a Marvel game and it's Wolverine. That carries so much less implication to me personally, but 
We'll see. It, this reminds me of how interesting the Apple Epic case was. And just you start hearing certain people just throwing shit out just to see what will stick. And then also sometimes people throwing shit out and then having the backup proof of why they feel this way and why they seem to think this is true. So it would be really interesting if somehow, some way, Microsoft provides some kind of document that does show that at the very least, Sony was at one point aiming for 23 as a window of release for, for Wolverine. Mm-hmm. No, exactly. And I just rewatched the trailer. It's not like they put 2023 in there. So they didn't put anything. No. Yeah. Uh, if if I remember correctly, though, did Spider Man put 23 in its trailer? Spider Man 2? I'll check while you read the next piece of news. Yeah, there's a part of me that thinks that they didn't, but they clearly put 23 in eventually. So, and there's only been one trailer. So, very likely that it's in that trailer. So. Next thing up, though, while Chris is checking that out, the fog surrounding the future around the fledgling Konami franchise in Silent Hill has dissipated, and the great blue shine of Sony's PlayStation 5 has begun to shine through. Konami spent about 20 minutes discussing the future of the franchise, which includes games, movies, and TV. Most germane to our purposes are the announcements of Silent Hill 2 Remake. All right, Chris, let me stop for a second. What the hell does germane mean? means the stuff that's important to our discussion. How have I never heard that phrase? I'm not saying you're wrong. I was just surprised because here's here's me hoping I even said it correctly. You did. Hey, look at that. I did something. I've just never heard that word. Relevant to or subject under consideration. Well, thanks, Chris. I learned something new today. And hopefully our listeners did too. Uh, without having to rely on context clues. Um, <laughs> anyway, Silent Hill 2 Remake is coming exclusively to PlayStation 5. Silent Hill F, a new game in the franchise coming from the team behind the yet-to-be-released Resident Evil RE-verse. And finally, Silent Hill Townfall coming from No Code and published by Annapurna. The franchise has been stagnant for a decade, but Konami released a ton of titles in the PS3 era, including Silent Hill Downpour, but was never able to capture the magic of Silent Hill 2 again, which is considered one of the best games of all time by a legions, by legions rather, of gamers. Um, It's weird to me how close this reminds me of that 2011, 2012 Silent Hill push. They did tag 2023, by the way. Okay, gotcha. Um, this reminds me so much of of Konami just flinging so much Silent Hill, and then when none of it landed, they just dropped it completely. Mm-hmm. And that does not... I don't know if it speaks to the quality of the product, because you can't... Just because they're making five games does not mean all five games are being made with no care. They All five games could be being made with extreme care and passion, And that's fine. Yeah, I agree. But I think it's really interesting to do this to your IP and just throw so much at once because a couple of things can happen. I think, first of all, you run the risk of IP fatigue. Mm -hmm. And I think, second of all, you run the risk of people already feeling like they don't trust the IP after years of being disappointed by it from the last big push. 
And then that's just being compounded on by you doing the same thing again, instead of being like, we understand that the last time we made Silent Hill, it was kind of controversial. And the last time that we, you know, it, the last time it was a new game, it wasn't received all that well. The last time that it was HD remasters, they really weren't done all that well. And at the last time that anybody was excited for a Silent Hill, that it was a Kojima game that got canceled in this very, you know, muddy war between corporations and, and corporate interests. I think that this would be where you, you know, we talk about <laughs> games being very, um, I don't know why I can't, transparent, but that would probably be the way I'd approach this. Is like, we understand that the last time we did this, it wasn't good. It wasn't good enough, and it wasn't really representative of the IP's potential. And I think I would just eat crow and then say, this is what we're doing. This is our one game that we want to show you that we understand the value of the IP and this is what we're doing with it. Whether that be a new game or just Silent Hill 2 Remake or at the very least Silent Hill 2 Remake and one new game. But instead it's technically three new games because there was Silent Hill F, Silent Hill Townfall, and then wasn't there one more that was like made by the Dead by Daylight people? No, I don't think so. Are you sure? I'm almost positive that that's not true. Hold on. I, I'm trying to think. Bad Robot? Is that the name? Yeah, it's just, I definitely don't think that's real, but you free free to look that up. Silent Hill Ascension. New game from J.J. Abrams. And Bad Robot Games. GenVid, Behavior Interactive, Bad Robot Games, and DJ2 have announced Silent Hill Ascension. Huh. Well, I didn't. I didn't see that, so... Yeah, cool. It was in the in the reveal uh, video that they did. But point being, you have this many new games, a new movie, which cool. The original Silent Hill movie is one of the few video game adaptation to movies, definitely in that era. That was cool to me. I think that that's a pretty good movie, actually. It's um, not. It's a it's a streaming video slash video game format. It's like a movie game. I would imagine an interactive is series. To- yeah, this is not a game. This is closer to uh, Bandersnatch, which is, I guess, a game. But that's what this sounds like it is, if I'm reading this right. Really what this sounds like to me is more like a uh, dead, uh, you know, like um, Until Dawn. So, you know, it's a live real time interactive but, experience series yeah. where millions of fans will watch together as the chilling story unfolds. So it's not a game. It's probably a CGI TV show. Yeah, maybe so. And maybe that's what they're considering as TV. But, I mean, if it's interactive, I'm still going to go ahead and say they they acted as if Bandersnatch is a game. And in many ways, it was. You're making decisions that are impacting things. I mean, if, if Dragon's Lair is a game, then so is this. <laughs> I think I, I just think it's disingenuous to pretend this and Silent Hill 2 are the same. That's what all I'm saying. I don't. But think that's what I'm saying. Same. One is a vi- one is a game, and one is a TV show with game uh, gaming elements. So, Dragon's Lair. This is just throwing that out there because I, I don't I don't know if you're aware of what it is. But if for any of listeners know. who may not be aware of what it is, it's an old 1980s thing. And I remember the first time I ever played it was on DVD with a with a TV remote because. It's it was an old arcade game that's essentially a cartoon that plays out and you make decisions and based on the decisions you make something will happen to your character and you can't go back and change them because it's mm. just it's continuing a series of essentially FMVs. Uh, so originally it was an arcade game and then I played it on DVD 
And it's exactly that, but it considers itself a video game. So, I mean, at some point, I think it's still a video game. I mean, but I guess what a video game is or isn't is a very broad or narrow thing, depending on who you are. But I will at least give you and agree with you that this and Silent Hill 2 are very different versions of games if we want to consider Ascension to be a game. Mm-hmm. I was surprised you didn't go to... And I, I'm actually kind of shocked. I don't know that I've heard anyone talk about this. They did announce a fourth game, in a way. If you yeah. if you go back and you read it, or you listen to what, he, the, what they say when they're talking about it, they say we have Silent Hill 2, the uh, Townfall, and then we have one more game. Or they didn't say that, but they said they have one more thing that they're not ready to talk about from another yes, developer. the Japanese developer. The yeah. secret Japanese developer. Yeah. Which Kojima. is... Yeah. It's Kojima! It's Hassan. That just makes my whole point worse. Yeah. That's <laughs> too much, dude. I, I agree with you. It's way too much. And the, you I, I, I just feel like they're getting to a point where I hope that even though it's too much, the difference is is that they've given it to a number of people who not only understand Silent Hill a little bit better than I feel like last time, but also still want to do something that's just unique enough and different enough that there feels like the overlap doesn't matter so much. Like one of the things that I think Silent Hill has always done really well over something like Resident Evil is that it's essentially an anthology. Silent Hill is just a setting and an ideology behind the way that you want to explore something, but the games themselves aren't really connected to each other. You may have the odd little thing that makes reference to one, but they stand completely alone almost every time with completely different characters. Whereas Resident Evil continues to try and build on a story and narrative with the same characters over and over again. And that's fine. But I do think that that allows Silent Hill to take an interesting aspect to where you don't, you won't get Silent Hill out in the way of like, oh, well, I'm tired of seeing about Leon. Like, even if it's cool, I'm, I'm a little, I'm, I'm burnt out on Leon or I'm burnt out on Chris or whatever. You know what I mean? And I think even Resident Evil understood that that could happen because that's why they put Ethan Winters in um, mm-hmm. as, as the protagonist because they knew they needed to shake it up somehow. Um, so with that in mind, I think like no code making Townfall I think Townfall has a really high chance of being something so different from just a gameplay mechanic and story aspect of how they choose to play this out that it should hopefully be okay. But I just I think repeating the same thing that you did last time is just not a good starting point. Ideally, you should want to rebuild faith in your franchise and then start to work it up to where you have five games or four games in production. You know, mm-hmm. so this is a weird move for me, but. One of the things I thought was interesting that was revealed in that is, and I don't know if you caught it, uh, they were talking about how Konami, uh, if I remember the wording right, gets hundreds of Silent Hill pitches every year. And that whenever Team Bloober came to them, or Bloober Team, whatever, came to them for a remake of Silent Hill 2, that it was their passion that drew them to it, to want to move forward with it. it kind of makes you wonder is the reason that that they've always done this big blast of Silent Hill is just because they constantly get people coming to them and they're just like we don't even have to try bro <laughs> we just we just say yes to like five people and call it a day. 
that's clearly being a little too over the top, but that's kind of what it feels like is they're just like, well, we get asked all the time. We get to see this all the time. So, yeah, I thought that was an odd thing. And I thought Bloober team are not a crazy selection because I, they're clearly so inspired by Silent Hill. The only thing I think about them is that they're very derivative. I feel like every game that they make is clearly aping another game that just like layers of fear. I feel like from everything I've seen looks like PT and like they're just trying to capture what the market was doing with PT. And then they come out with the medium and the medium is clearly inspired by Silent Hill and the idea of two realities now they're doing some interesting stuff within it to a degree, but they're an interesting choice for nothing else than combat. They talk about in the trailer modernizing combat, which arguably is needed for Silent Hill. Not necessary, I guess, because Silent Hill 2 is a great game because of the story and the characters and everything. It's not really... If it's the exact same swing a stick shittily at somebody, it's not really going to matter. But pulling that camera behind the shoulder and doing a, you know, behind the shoulder camera and the way they're talking about. I don't know if they have the, I wonder who they brought in to give them their combat chops. Uh, I don't know, man. I wish I knew. I Bloober team seems like an insane choice, but maybe with a outline of a game um, hmm? ready to go, they'll be pretty good. Well, yeah, they're not really writing their own narrative because they also kind of lose the narrative pretty badly in their games, which is, you know, but they they have a framework to work with and all their read. Uh, I can kind of get Blue Routine because they are known for making very pretty games. The Medium yeah. is a pretty game. It, it is. It is. I, I, you, I played a little played bit it? of it. You started it? I haven't it? played it on PS5, but I did play a little bit of it on Xbox Series S, Got whatever it. I had by Series S. And I was impressed even on the Series S. I thought it looked very good. Didn't really run that great um, on Series S. I wonder if the PS5 version does better or worse. Um, but where, I, where I'm getting at with that is it makes sense to give a developer who is kind of synonymous with great-looking games a remake because you're telling them you don't got to really change anything about the game. Just make it look cool. Make it look pretty, which is a great thing to give to a developer who's known for making pretty games. But they still have to have somebody to either design combat or they're just going to have to reuse what was already there. And they can't really reuse what was already there if you're switching up the camera perspective and everything. So I'm curious to see how it goes. Uh, I'm also curious to see if this can be the first time that Blueberry Hill really, uh, that Blueberry Team makes it, <laughs> you know, Blueberry Hill, Blueberry Team knocks it out of the park for me. But I guess I should really play the medium all the way through or at least a good chunk through before I make that claim. Yeah. Uh, I, I have the medium downloaded. We'll see. I'm interested to see if we it's if it's good. Did you get it on PS Five? PS like it's on Store? the PS Plus collection, or not the PS That's... Plus collection, but it's on PS Plus. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess it is the collection, right? The <laughs> it's on one of the collections on PS. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, what are your thoughts here? I mean, I know you've played a little bit of Silent Hill, but I mean, do you have much of a connection to the franchise? No, I'm more Resident Evil. I hope this is good because I want to play Silent Hill 2. Um, but, so we'll see. I hope it's good. I hope they do a good job. I have confidence that they're competent in following a blueprint. And we'll see. Yeah. The question then just becomes whether or not they 
following a blueprint leads to still a good game because Other Ocean, the developer behind Medieval um, Resurrection or whatever the game was called um, for PS4, they followed a blueprint and they did a very faithful adaptation. The problem there comes down to some people either having rose-tinted glasses or having never played Medieval and trying to play a game like that in this modern age just doesn't work. I do think Silent Hill is a bit more timeless, personally. <laughs> but be really interesting yeah. to see some people play Silent Hill 2 for the first time if they end up thinking it's bad. I I doubt it, but it'd be interesting to see. All right. Uh, next thing and last thing. Lastly, Bethesda announced native current-gen versions of Fallout 4. It should be coming out sometime in 2023. We all know that the game, or sorry, all we know is that the game is uh, including tons of upgrades, including higher frame rate and resolutions, uh, bug fixes, and even bonus Creative Club content. So the higher frame rate and resolution seems to be playing out as most games do, where it's going to be a mode to favor resolution and a mode to favor frame rate. Not necessarily the two of those things together, but they say 4K textures. We'll see. Um, so bug fixes always ends up being an interesting question to me because does that mean that they've just left enough bugs in that game that there's still bugs to be fixed in a re-release? It's weird. Yeah, it's weird. (laughs) I feel like they said that for every version of Skyrim and Skyrim's released enough times that game should be virtually bug-free and it's not. (laughs) No. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. That's just what they said. I hope it's... I can't wait to play it again. I'll I'll definitely try it. Whether I finish it is another question, but... Well, see, here's my upside. I get a chance because I know you're going to buy it. So I get a chance to try this game again for free and hopefully like it more. (laughs) (laughs) I I just want to be clear. I don't hate Fallout 4. I just don't think it's nearly as good as 3 or New Vegas. No, you're right. It's not as good as 3. Or, and, and I think a big part of that is because I didn't feel compelled to do the side content at all. But I think that's because when they introduced the side stuff, I didn't feel like the brotherhood people that they brought into the main story. Cause one thing I really like about Bethesda is that in their games, they always introduce the side factions in with one or two characters that are kind of very loose. Like you run into them somehow in the main story and that's how they introduce you to this other leg. But I felt like that game's characters that did that, none of the main faction characters were strong enough to really interest me to go do it. And then the one that I did, as I mentioned with Brotherhood of Steel, I was like, if this is what I can expect out of all of them, then I'm not really digging it. And so I just did the last mission, beat the game and turned it off and never turned it on again. (laughs) Which, you know, I mean, I don't, I'm not, I don't think makes it a bad game, but I also don't think I owed it anything more at the time, at the very least. I would Um, definitely agree with that. So I think I've said it a million times, but I really think the Witcher three shaking things up for that style of game, you know, the, the open world fantasy RPG kind of idea. Um, I think it just made certain aspects of fallout Four seem even more dated than they would have in a va- outside of that. Like, right. If Witcher three hadn't come out, I think Fallout 4 would have probably landed a little bit better with me uh, because the other thing was the writing was so rough to me in Fallout 4 uh, that it wasn't like terrible. Let me back up. 
it was weak in comparison to some of the absolute best writing I've seen for certain side content, side content in The Witcher 3 at the time, that the side content or even the main content being written in a way that was less to me than even the main content or side content rather of The Witcher just put me on a downward. Like, I think it was just those two games coming out so close to each other was not good for me. Yeah, I, can, I think that one tainted the other. Whether that was fair of me or not, it happened. Yeah, and that seems fair. I can understand that. So, yeah, we'll see. What do you think the price tag is going to be on this? You think they're going to move to all of these games being seventy? <laughs> Probably. I would. Part of me would be completely shocked if they if they had the balls to charge seventy for Fallout, but then I remember they charged seventy for Skyrim, so probably going to be 80 so here's something that is i think at least an interesting thing to note and this one does matter because this is bethesda so this is not a situation like we had with the outer worlds where it was technically Private uh, private division and them having the rights to that and very likely being behind that one coming back out this is bethesda with a Bethesda IP that they own, bringing Fallout 4, much like Skyrim, as they've done in the past, to PlayStation yet again, when nothing says they have to. Why? And I, it, not a question to you, but a question that I'm gener- I'm curious as to, when they're looking, why is it okay that Fallout 4 goes to PlayStation? And not a presumed Fallout Five. Why is it okay that Skyrim goes to PlayStation, but The Elder Scrolls Six is not intended for it? Because I feel like the answer is is that it's a big console market that you don't want to miss out money on, and the game already exists on that platform in some degree. But that's exactly the the first part of that is exactly why, and really even the second part of that, right? The Elder Scrolls exist on PlayStation already as an ideology and has a fan base already built into this very large thing. And so it just, I'm curious as to why they haven't been like, Hey, look, we bought Bethesda. When we bring our games over, we're not going to do that. But this kind of makes me wonder if this is somewhat similar, but not exactly to how Sony have handled Bungie to where Bungie wanted their own control and to be able to continue publishing on their own. And if you remember, Bethesda got set up as their own, they're still their own publishing arm under Xbox. Mm-hmm. Um, so this makes me wonder, to some degree, do Bethesda have control over games, but Microsoft has the ability to basically veto or override and say, this game is going to be exclusive. This game's going to be exclusive, and Microsoft can choose when they want to push that envelope and strain that relationship a little bit, and so they just don't bother with games like Fallout 4 or Skyrim or Legacy titles, um, and instead are just really looking at new titles and being like, these are the ones we're going to have a heavier hand on controlling publishing platforms. Yeah, um, I think... I think it's pretty clear that while Bethesda maybe it's on publishing arm, they don't have any power. Right, I don't. I don't think they have absolute power. Otherwise, I I don't see how this would happen. And then, like I said, Fallout Five not come to. Well, why everything. wouldn't why wouldn't this hop um, happen though? Because right, it's already made. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, so I they agree. can get seventy dollars for it, whatever. 
but I don't know that they're. I would see more credence with what you're saying if this comes out and it's a free upgrade. Um, but as of right now, it, to me, it just seems like games are already made. They're just going to polish it and put it out again for free money. I don't think it's the same as building a PS5 game. Like I think that's a completely different story. Well, so two two things there that I want to look at that I, that are kind of feeding into why I even thought to bring this up is. Hellblade is a perfect example of the exact same thing, and yet Hellblade only has a Series X version, Series S, Series X version for next-gen, and not a PlayStation version. Both of these being companies that were bought by Microsoft, but Microsoft <clears throat> is doing the publishing for... Um, you know what I mean? They, they, they own everything set up under Ninja Theory. So why is that game choosing to break off and cut off a console for a game that's already made and would be an easy thing to just polish and spit on the PS5. Mm -hmm. But this game does get that treatment. Now, your obvious answer is Fallout and Elder Scrolls are much bigger games and much easier cash than for Hellblade. Even at its best, Hellblade was still ultimately a niche title um, in comparison to these. But it still does beg the question of how do they determine that. And then the secondary thing I was wanting to look at there is The Elder Scrolls Six, a game that by all means is not in development development, but rather kind of in that early stages of development where they're writing and figuring out story and world. And maybe they're figuring out like what the world t- topography is going to look like to a degree. Yeah, but I can see that. Starfield is a game that, as far as we know, has been in working active development on PS5. And would have been very easy to continue just developing the game as is and putting it on PS5 and making that money. So again, why draw the line where they did? Not that they don't have the right to do so, being the purchasers as they are. I just think it's an interesting thing because if it's about money, then why does the money not come into play for that the way that we've been talking about? Because the same thing will be true here, right? Fallout 4 will get a Series X and S version that will be free you know what I mean? It'll be included on Game Pass. Right. And then when you want to play it on PlayStation, guess what? It's going to be at 60 minimum dollars, 70 probably. I mean, I agree. That's what they should do. Um, I don't, I think I've been, I don't, I don't understand why they aren't doing it. So I get where you're coming from. Um, but we'll have to just wait and see like what, for me, it, we have to wait and see what the details are on this specific game, you know? Until I know if this yeah. is a, up, a free upgrade or a purchase, and I'd have to—I don't have all the knowledge I need to make a decision on how I feel. Well, I would tell you the fact that uh, Skyrim Special Edition or an- whatever Anniversary Edition is what it was called uh, was mm-hmm. not a free upgrade, despite adding fishing and a couple of Creation Club things. The fact that that was still a paid upgrade tells me that this is going to be either a paid upgrade. Or an outright separate purchase. I I would uh, tend to agree with you, but yeah. I just I need to see it before I can really have thoughts more deep than I hope it's not paid. You know, and then <laughs> yeah. no, because if I it's just the- a free if it's a free upgrade, then maybe they're trying to have a good relationship with players on PlayStation, regardless of their purchase. But if it's not a free upgrade, then it's like a, they're just doing it for the money and that's okay, but they're just doing it for the money. This is going to sound weird. Okay. Maybe not, though. I think that this kind of checks out 
So you know how right now we're seeing Sony have PlayStation games exclusive to PlayStation consoles for about a year and then go to PC because they don't view PC as competition, right? Sure. With the money that's obviously easy to be made from Bethesda's games for sure ending up on PlayStation, what do you think the chances are with Microsoft consistently saying that Sony is not their main competition and instead Amazon and Google uh, are? What do you think the chances are that they're going to realistically do what Sony's doing here and let these games be exclusive on Microsoft and Game Pass, uh, Microsoft devices and Game Pass for a one-year period and then still let them come to PlayStation so that they can double dip, get the money out of that, and then still have the benefit of saying, we have this game exclusively. If you want to play it, you're going to if you want to play it without waiting too much time, you're going to have to play it here, but then they can have their cake and eat it too and have the PR win of saying, well, we still gave it to you. Now, I think it's not a perfect PR win, and it may not be exactly what it is because you still have to deal with the fact that they constantly talk about letting players choose where to play and having more options. Um, but as we mentioned, the subtext of that all is more options within things that we are, that our Game Pass service is on. Right. More <laughs> so, options as long as, you're play, as long as you're paying us. But that's what I think is crazy. You're paying them arguably more money on PlayStation. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> Even if you release a seventy dollars, but that's a we, we've we've had that conversation plenty of times. So, um, but I almost wonder if if Sony is truly not competition to them in the way that they talk about. Will we see them start to adopt some form of that? Even if it's two years. Even if it's at some point, the Elder Scrolls Six comes to PlayStation Five or Six, and at some point, Starfield comes to PS Five. Maybe two years from now. Maybe. Maybe longer, you know? Yeah. Maybe shorter. Mm. I I think I think it would make a ton of sense to do what you're saying. I just doesn't seem as though that's what they want to do. If that yeah. makes sense. Well, you know, Sony talks about how the PC market and having a window of exclusivity, true exclusivity for their first party titles for the console side of things gives them their benefit because eventually they hit a point where they've sold through what they're realistically going to sell through in any large capacity on the PlayStation. And at that point, opening it up to a secondary market that's not a primary competitor makes sense. So if Sony can view that and look at that that way and say, look at the business aspect of that, Microsoft being who they are should be able to see that same thing go. It's only truly a benefit for a certain window. And then once everyone has played the game that's going to play it for the most part, or who mm-hmm. would have bought into our ecosystem to play this game, um, once we've done our service to our players and they are sated, then we can dip into this non-competitor market. Uh, the only thing I'd say about that is, will businesses hold grudges despite the dollar signs? Because if Microsoft would have been willing or thinking about doing that, maybe they wouldn't now because Sony's been trying so hard to block the Activision <laughs> Blizzard deal that they're like, nope, we're going to keep everything exclusive forever because fuck y'all. <laughs> I think if they were going to do what you're talking about, it would have come out in the CMA by now or in, in these discussions. Probably. Or at least would- something. All of that would make their case, would help make their case of like, nah, yo, we are going to put it on PlayStation. We're just not doing it now. That's yeah. and 
Yeah, so, I could see that. We'll see. All right, I'm Chris. Interested. Well, I don't really have much else to talk about here. Uh, what do you think you'd want to uh, make the community state question here? Um, <laughs> I almost want to say, is Skyrim or is Fallout going to be uh, <laughs> a, a charge? A paid game. upgrade? Sorry, that, yeah. I, I, I got stuck for a second there. But no, I think, um, you know... Let's see. Are people happy about the way that um, Silent Hill is being presented right now? Are you happy with eighteen Silent Hill games? I know I was. I know I was raising the number a little bit on accident, Chris. No, I'm sorry. I still. <laughs> I still stand by my four games. I think that's an accurate representation of what they said. I don't, but that's okay. <laughs> now I gotta just. I, I want to have people flooding you talking about Dragon's Lair. And how you're uncultured for never playing it. Arguably, I guess I'm uncultured for playing it on a DVD. Yeah. <laughs> Get the Blu-ray of Dragon's Lair and come back to me. I'm just saying. You know, you it's said, a, you're, I'm uncultured because I didn't play it on the original arcade cabinet. Uh-huh. I was about to ask a question to try and gotcha you. And then I realized that my question would have been really dumb. So <laughs> what Now I'm going to know what it is. The Dragon's Lair. When did, where did that come out on? It, it came out as an arcade machine in the 80s. Oh, okay. Now, past so that, then, so then I was past right. that, I you can, can ask you. You can't play it on a PS2 or a PS1? It's not a video game. <laughs> 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 I was right, you said DVD, and I was like, oh, shit, you can play that on a PS2, actually. That's his gotcha oh, on so, my gotcha. So, yeah, that's exactly true. But here, here's your list of platforms. <laughs> Laserdisc, oh, Arcade, PlayStation, NES, SNES, Sega CD, Game Boy Color, CDI, Atari Jaguar CD, Xbox, GameCube, Nintendo DSi, oh, Lord. PC, Amiga, Nintendo Switch, TI-99. Hold on, bro. The graphing calculator? Bro, yes. Home computers released by Texas Instruments in, 17, in 1979 and 1981. Wow. That's sick. And then the Apple 2GS. <laughs> 2GS. <laughs> not the, not a phone. Um, I think this, that this if uh, the game does not have a does not come in a box that says PlayStation or Xbox or Amiga <laughs> or Atari or whatever, it's not the same as Silent Hill 2 remake. <laughs> if I can play it with my television remote. Doesn't count for me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So I'm I sorry. love how you just said the entirety of the Steam library are not video games <laughs> because no. they don't come in a box. <laughs> you can get you can get a lot of those games in boxes. All right. Uh, some of them. Some of them you can't. Wait, are you telling me that since Barbarian is not getting a physical release, that it is not a movie? I'm saying it's. I'm a hundred percent saying it's not a video game. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. When you watch that movie, you can't make decisions to the uh, protagonist that change the outcome. Exactly. Though I do wait for the day in which that becomes a thing for theaters. I guarantee you it's coming very soon. There's going to be theater. There's going to be a thing where you're sitting in a theater and your theater seats are going to have like a a couple of buttons that are labeled like one, two, three, and four. And as the movie's going on, the entire theater is going to be able to collectively put votes in like for American Idol. And it's just going to be like (laughs) 67% chose A, 
So we're going to go with that answer. And then the movie continues forward with that theater answer. And that way, every time you go to the theater and watch a movie, you get to have a different conversation with your friends. <laughs> and the only thing is, I actively think that's a cool idea, but also it kind of takes away from the point of a movie, which is the discussions around the movie are all based on the fact that we all saw the same thing, but we all interpreted it in different ways. That sounds like a nightmare for people who work in movie theaters. Cause I guarantee you those things will never work. <laughs> mm, fair enough. We'll see what happens, but all right. Yeah, we'll see. We'll, we'll open it up. Are you a big silent Hill fan? Are you excited at the news of all of this happening? Or do you feel like this is just a, or do you not care? Or do you feel it's a repeat of uh, the 2012, uh, all, all, throw everything to the wall and see what sticks approach. Uh, so yeah, we'll, we'll see you guys next week for episode 282, but this has been episode 281. Chris, thanks for joining me. And You're without welcome. further ado, we're going to remind you guys that if you want to join some of the other lovely people who have, you can head over to patreon.com slash Nartech and give as little as a dollar per month to help support the show directly. We are always so thankful to every single one of you that do that. Uh, or you can give a little bit more like $5 and get a really cool patron sticker. We saw some of you guys uh, repping your patron stickers um, and we appreciate that. One of them ended up on the side of a PS5, which I think is an honor. I agree. I got to throw that out there. Um, We're with the greats right there. So, all right, you guys, we want to give a big shout out to our patrons, Stingray X. It's a sin to win, a.k.a. Sean, Aztec King, Lechion69, The Lord Corgi, Salvador Garcia, Hammond Egger, Bailey Robertson, Mark Schutz, Cypher Primus, Kyle Grimm, Rude Days 93, Kevin Bacon Bits, Christopher, Danny Villiobos, Jehudi MD, No Fate, Josh Ayers, Derek Porter, Donovan Williams, Constantly Kenny, Matthew Green, Sean Santarud, Stephen Salazar, and Shadowist. Thanks to each and every one of you, and we'll see you next week. Peace.